Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Here's an amazing story for you folks. A life-saving surgery ended up being a life-altering experience. He was just shy of four years old. When he went in for emergency surgery, he slipped out of consciousness, and that's when he says he entered into heaven. He met people he never knew, like his grandfather and St. John the Baptist. Colton Burpo and his father, uh, Todd, that is, highlight this remarkable experience in the new book, Heaven is for Real. And they both join me this morning. Good morning. Good morning, Gretchen. Good morning. What an amazing story. Uh, Todd, let me start with you. You're facing a crisis. Your son, an emergency surgery. You think you might not be able to save him. He recovers. It's a miracle. But then you hear a story you never thought you'd hear. Yeah, we uh, went through uh, the scariest uh, uh, ordeal of our lives watching our son suffer. He was misdiagnosed. He had appendicitis. And they thought he had the stomach flu, and by the time they uh, figured out what was really wrong with him, we figured his appendix had probably been burst for about five days. Mm-hmm. And he was one really just sick, really uh, very sick child. And uh, when we finally got out of the hospital, uh, all of a sudden, it, it took a long time, but he started sharing stories and things with us, and all of a sudden we realized something special happened while Colton was in the hospital. Right, because Colton, you were able at that age for to tell your parents that you were above them while you were being operated on, and where did you see them? Well, I saw my dad in a little room talking to God, and then I saw my mom in another room talking on the phone and talking to one of her friends. And Todd, there was no way he would have known about that, right? No, while those events were happening, he was in surgery under anesthesia, and when he starts describing where we were at and what we were doing, I, I was stunned. I was like, how does he know that? And that's where our story began. And then he also started to tell you about Pop, who was your grandfather. Was your grandfather his grandfather? Anyway, he had been deceased for 30 years? Yeah, it was, it was my grandfather, uh, Colton's great-grandfather, and I was really close to him as a child. And uh, Pop was a special person in my life, but he was killed in a car wreck before I turned seven. He can recognize pictures of Pop as a young man, talks about the time I spent with him as a child. It's incredible. Todd, real quickly, I want to get what happened about a miscarried child that you and your wife had and what Colton told you. Yeah, uh, we were in the living room one day, and um, just like any typical day, and he's four at the time, he kind of comes bouncing in the room, and he just goes up to his mom and says, Mom, I have two sisters. And it took us a while to... asking what are you talking about and he just looks at his mom and says mom you had a baby die in your tummy didn't you and just time stopped and she's like who told you that and colton's like well she did she told me she died in your tummy amazing and it just wow yeah wow i mean that is some story for a four-year-old what do you make of a kid who says literally he is heaven is for real that's what he says and that he's been there Um, Pretty provocative. He's made the news all over the place. I want to welcome you to our series on the afterlife. And today, we turn our eyes to heaven and ask exactly what is it that we can expect in the life beyond this one. Um, This book has been a bestseller on the New York Times for uh, 19 weeks straight. Uh, I read it on the beach last month, and it highlights kind of the huge curiosity out there right now with the afterlife. What happens when we die? What exactly can we expect in eternity? And that question um, has really shaped every culture in human history. Um, It's not just 
uh, the West uh, today in the 21st century. Australian Aborigines imagined heaven as this distant island beyond the horizon. Native Americans thought that in the afterlife that their spirits would hunt the spirits of buffaloes. Uh, in the pyramids of Egypt, they actually, the embalmed bodies had maps placed beside them as guides to the future world. And if you've seen Gladiator, you know that uh, the Romans believed the soldiers would picnic in the fields of grain out in the Elysian fields as their horses grazed nearby. Every civilization in history has had this God-given innate sense of the eternal, that this world is not all there is. Yet how would you describe heaven? I mean, what comes to your imagination? In 1971, that's the year I was born, John Lennon sang, Imagine there's no heaven, it's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine there's no countries, it isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. To Lennon, his image of heaven is pretty much actually a world without religion. A world without hell, without heaven for that matter, which he thought was kind of a source of conflict in the world, religion. I don't know how you would describe it. What images would you even say are biblical? Which ones are drawn from popular culture or myth? Well, to begin with, the first thing we can say is that whatever your current imagination of heaven is like, most likely it is woefully inadequate. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And a lot of people say, see... That means we can't possibly imagine what heaven is like. Don't bother speculating. That's why I think books like this have become so popular, candidly. Because I think there's a crisis of imagination in the modern church when it comes to heaven. Uh, in the church I grew up in, I was kind of told, well, in heaven we're going to be doing one thing. We're going to be worshiping and praising God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever after that. And I imagined it being this kind of like giant, you know, heavenly choir doing this kind of never-ending hymn sing in the sky, which if you knew the choir in my church was closer to hell than heaven, okay? I'll just be honest about that. Everyone with tambourines. As a little boy, can you imagine this, right? I mean, Sunday was the day I had to wear a tie, sit in a pew, and I wished I could be anywhere but there, playing with my friends, catching frogs, watching a band. This idea that heaven was like a giant Sunday church service with no end, I was like, no thanks. And thank God that's not what heaven is like at all, Scripture says. We have a failure to imagine, folks. And honestly, I think it's led to apathy, not anticipation, even dread in some circles, not joy. I mean, what do you think of when I say heaven? Do you think of like, you know, these disembodied spirits in the sky kind of floating through the clouds? How, how inspiring is that to you? Gary Larson, the far side cartoonist, he expresses that crisis this way. He imagines a guy sitting on a cloud thinking to himself, wish I'd bought a magazine. <laughs> Boring. But the truth is, Although Corinthians says heaven's beyond our imagination, no eye has seen it, no mind has conceived what God's preparing, the verse after it says, but God has what? God's revealed it to us by his spirit. In other words, we actually do have in scripture a very clear picture of what God says heaven is like. And God's promise is breathtaking. It really is. I've spent the last few weeks just kind of poring over passages, studying the background and, and reading commentaries. And the biblical descriptions will literally take your breath away. It is not boring. It makes your mouth water. I want you to imagine this. A resurrected life in a resurrected body, face to face with our creator, with a resurrected Christ, on a resurrected earth, a world we have never known that God intends us to actually explore discover, 
rule over with him. This is what the Bible has to say, and I want to show this to you today. So let's begin with the present tense, where we are now. If you're taking notes, I put a a few rudimentary uh, drawings in there, and I want to start with our current home. This is where we are right now. This should look familiar to you. This present earth, and if you're taking notes, you can just write, this is where I'm living, on the present earth. And you can see it right here. You can even star if you want and say, oh, I'm living right here in New Jersey or whatever. And uh, the reality is, when that, that's where we are right now. And I put that image in here because the Bible talks about it this way. Paul says, we know that the whole creation has been, what's the word? Groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Even if you don't believe everything that the Bible says, you're not sure about the veracity of the Bible, you would probably agree that this present world, as it currently is, is broken. There's something wrong with it. Things are not as they should be. Everybody instinctively knows that whatever your religion is. War, poverty, disease, decay. People get prostate cancer. Kids get abused. Children starve. We all have this innate sense that things in this world, this present earth, are broken. The Bible says all creation is groaning, is in the pains of childbirth. And not only is the world falling apart, it's our bodies too. Have you noticed? Paul writes, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our what? Our bodies. And this is why some of you belong to the gym. (laughs) You are fighting the effects of entropy. (laughs) Things break down. Gravity happens. Stuff that was once tight gets a little bit now hanging loose. That's life in this present world, That's, which Bible says is life under the curse. That's the curse of sin and death. When our, when our parents, Adam and Eve, sinned, they rebelled against God. They went their own way, going to have life without God and that relationship with God in Eden, which was rich and fulfilling, was suddenly cut off. That's our inheritance. Thanks, mom and dad. So our home now is broken. Our bodies are breaking down, which is why we long for another world, a, a better world. But the Bible takes it a step further. 2 Corinthians 5 says, as long as we are at home on this earth and this body, we're what? We're away from the Lord. In other words, the physical disconnect we see in this world has a spiritual corollary. Our home in this broken earth and this broken body is away from God. There is now a distance between us and our creator. But as Christians, Paul wrote, we'd prefer to be away from the body and what? At home with the Lord. And he's speaking of heaven. There's going to be this moment where your body breaks down. It's going to cease to function. It's going to be put in the ground and your soul or spirit is going to go home to be with God. We talked about this last week. And that's what heaven is. It's being in the literal presence of God. And just like there is a present earth, the Bible teaches there is a present heaven. You can just jot that in your notes. This is the present heaven. And I say present because it's not the place we're going to spend eternity, guys. It is an intermediate heaven. It is a transition zone, if you will. And you're like, what are you talking about? Where are you getting this from? Track with me on this. I'm going to put a crown here because you know what heaven is? Heaven is simply the realm where God says, and it's so. In other words, his will is done. He rules and he reigns there. There's no death. There's no disease. There's no decay allowed in in the realm and the presence of God. And here's, this is great news to those of us who believe because I was talking a couple of weeks ago, I was speaking at a church with, a, with an older congregation. It was down in Ocean City. 
And uh, it was an older congregation, lots of gray hair there. And I'm sitting on the podium and I'm looking out on, on the audience. And this man is in the back row, two rows from the back. And he has one of those walkers, you know, that kind like has four wheels and kind of eh, kind of walk along. And he's leaning on the handles there. And during an opening worship song that we sang, we sang this lyric that said, Lord, haste the day that my faith becomes sight and the skies will roll back like a scroll. And I will never forget this because I'm sitting on the podium looking and I see him tottering like this. And he puts one hand up and then he puts two hands up. Lord, haste the... And he's trembling. I'm like, he's going to fall over. And he grabbed back on his thing and just kept his hands up, raised in worship. And, and he was trembling. And at the end of the service, he comes up to me standing at the door and to thank me for the message. I said, no, thank you for your worship, man. That was, that was totally inspiring. And he said, oh, son, I'm 85 years old. He goes, I have maybe one or two years left. And then his eyes just lit up. He said, I can't wait to go home. He just lit up. Now, if you're young, if you're in your 20s and 30s, I know you don't care about this. You're like, I don't, you know, I got my whole life in front of me. But this guy, he raises his arms from his walkers. He says, I can't wait to be home in the presence of my Lord. And his eagerness, his anticipation was kind of startling. It's like Paul wrote, to live is Christ and die is gain. I actually desire to depart and be with who? With Christ, which is better by far. In other words, followers of Jesus have this hope that no one else can claim, that this present world is not all there is. When we depart this present earth, we will be with Christ in the present heaven. The question is, what is this heaven really like? And this, honestly, I think this is where we fail. We fail to understand what the Bible means by heaven. Because the truth is, when we die, followers of Jesus will not go to the heaven where we will spend all eternity, our final destination. Instead, we go to a present heaven that is temporary. But there will be a future heaven that merges heaven and earth. And I'm just going to leave that there because I want you to get this. Theologians call this the intermediate heaven. This is where people who die right now, covered by Christ's blood, will go when they leave this earth. They are going to wait for Christ, for the resurrection of their bodies, for the final judgment of all things. But after Christ returns, every believer down through the ages will make our final home in what the Bible calls not the present earth or the present heaven, but actually we call it, the Bible calls it all over the place, you're going to see this, the new earth. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is our original creation restored where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. The key scripture for this is in Revelation 21. I want to invite you to open your Bibles there. The Apostle John gives us a prophetic preview of what this new world is like. Revelation 21, he, he has this, this, this vision. He says, then I saw a what? Read it together, church. A new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So the idea here is, the, these first two things, guys, actually pass away. And, and some of you are like, oh, I know that. It's all destroyed. Earth's going to hell in a handbasket. No, 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 no. It's like you pass away. When you pass away, do you cease to exist? No. Your spirit goes on to eternity. But these two will pass away to give way to something new. And look what he says in verse 2. I saw it. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is where? With men. And he will live with them. They will be his people. 
and God himself will be with them and be their God. In other words, guys, capture this. Earth and heaven, at present, they are separated. One day in the future, a cosmic mashup is going to occur. Heaven comes down to earth, a brand new creation. I want you just to capture this because it reveals something amazing. God never gave, he never gave up. God never gave up on his original creation. I mean, when you think about that on um, uh, earth, unsullied by, by crime, pollution, the horrors of humanity, he actually never gave up on, this, on, his, on his vision. You know what God's dream was? To live in a paradise with his creatures, his children, that's you and me, where our connection, our relationship is broken and unsullied by sin or anything else. His dream is the physical restoration of all things. I want you to consider this for a moment because it's a truth that you may never have heard and the implications are stunning. One day, heaven will be a place on earth. You remember that Belinda Carlisle song? Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. You remember that? I'm not talking about some otherworldly realm. I'm talking about this earth redeemed, renewed, restored, whole and healed, exactly what God intended it and us to be. John writes, now the dwelling of God is with men. He will be with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and will be their God. In other words, God comes down to dwell with us. The king establishes his kingdom on a renewed earth which is perfectly fitting with God's original plan. Think about this. Ever since the beginning, Genesis, the beginning, God's greatest desire has been to come down and live with his children in the paradise he created. God could have taken Adam and Eve up to heaven to live with him. Instead, he came down to walk with them in the garden in the cool of the day. That's what Genesis says. In the New Testament, God again descended where? To this earth. In the person of Jesus, he took on flesh and blood, the incarnation, God with skin on and he made his dwelling among us. As Randy Alcorn writes in his eye-opening book, Heaven, he says, this is a picture of God's ultimate plan. Not to take us up to live in a realm made for him, but to come down and live with us in the realm that he made for us. And if this is is new to you, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised. This world is not our home, but it will be one day. Heaven will be a place on earth And you were made explicitly for that place. And my guess is you've sensed that at certain times in your life. Certain moments when when the curtain between the world and heaven is is, very thin and you sense the original beauty and joy of God's creation. I remember my uh, my honeymoon in Bermuda and uh, that was a great moment. Took my bride snorkeling for the first time. Anyone here like to snorkel? Snorkeling is unbelievable. Uh, I'd never snorkeled before and I will never forget that. We put on the mask and I get into this... This, this underwater universe I'd never seen before. Brilliant corals. They're like purple and pink and orange. They have these parrotfish, and they're like glimmering silver and blue, electric yellow, these, 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 these fish. I saw a silver barracuda. I literally came up gasping in my mask. I turned to Colleen, my wife, and I was like, where are you? She's up on the beach. She actually got out of the water. She saw the barracuda. She took off, and I kept exploring all afternoon, just floating in this unreal turquoise water, crystal clear, powder white sand at the bottom. You can see right through. And the coolest part is I'm going along this one reef and I see this kind of thing like this. And he patches onto the coral. It's an octopus about this big. So I literally, I'm like underwater. And I go and I touch it. And he inked me. 
he actually, I got actually inked by an octopus. It was unbelievable. And I ran out of the water up, you know, breathless. I took off my mask. I'm like, God, you'll never believe this. I've lived my whole life on this earth. But sticking my head under the water, I saw a whole new world, pristine. I'd never seen before. Colors I'd never seen. An entirely new universe underwater. I was in paradise, man. Doing what I love the most. Exploring a new world with the person I love the most. My wife, Colleen. It was a little taste of Eden. Adventure. Intimacy. That's why they call it a honeymoon. Every morning we would hit the beach, then the buffet, then back to bed. (laughs) Beach, buffet, bed. Beach, buffet, bed, repeat. And that's basically how it went. We watched the sunset over the island. We'd, you know, go back to our cabana. The man and the woman were naked and felt no shame. Sorry. That, you may blush, but that's what we were made for, and I'm sure you've had your moments. What's that place for you where you felt closest to God, like he was actually breaking through all around you, and you're like, man, I'm made for this. My heart hungers for that. Maybe it's a place in nature. Maybe for you it's, you know, hiking or or when you see the Grand Canyon, or maybe it's when you, you ride your Harley with close friends on the open road, or you're alone working in your garden, or you're, or, you're, or you're playing music, or you're painting, creating good art. In the garden, we had purpose, we had work to do. As Alcorn writes, he says, we are homesick for Eden. We long for what the first man and woman once enjoyed, a perfect and beautiful earth with free and untainted relationships with God, each other, animals, in our environment. The the good news, folks, the stunning news is that this will all be ours. The Bible doesn't offer some vague, airy, fairy heaven in some ethereal realm, but a new heaven and a new earth, just as it says in Revelation and all throughout Scripture. 2 Peter 3 actually says, in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a what? A new heaven and a new earth earth, the home of righteousness. In other words, you can only imagine because you have only seen at this point the broken earth that we currently inhabit. Folks, this broken earth right now where you live is a jagged grayscale fax of the original, but it's a shadow of your future home. Everything you love about life on earth, come over here, would you? This is a foretaste, guys. It's a stab, it's a pang of, of, of your eternal home. It's a, it's a preview of the life to come. According to the Bible, we will live resurrected lives in resurrected bodies with a resurrected Christ ruling a resurrected creation. I'm making all things new. So just close your eyes and imagine what's the most beautiful place you've been? Maybe it's a crisp autumn day in, in the city without pollution. Imagine New York, people smiling and joyful, not angry, depressed, or empty, you know? Think of friends or family members right now who loved Christ and and, and are with him now. I want you to picture walking with them through Central Park because Revelation says there's a garden at the middle of the city. You you, you can run with, if you like, you may have arthritis right now, but all of a sudden you're powerful, more powerful than an Olympic athlete. You are, yeah, you know what that means, Chris. You are laughing, you are talking, playing, eating. You bite into a fruit so sweet you've never tasted something like that. Now you see someone coming towards you. It's Jesus with a big smile on his face. And you, you fall to your knees in worship, but he pulls you up and embraces you. Well done, my faithful servant. Finally, you're with the person you were made for in the place you were always meant to be. And everywhere you go, there are new people to meet, new things to discover. 
new things to eat. What's that? What's that smell? It's a feast. The party's ahead. Look, oh my goodness, new wine. Jesus pops the top. There's a biblical verse for every single one of those images. I will tell you the truth. I will not drink of this wine until I see you again at the part banquet of the heavens. The writers of scripture describe heaven in profoundly earthly terms. It's the modern church who has just vaporized it. They talked about a city with, with walls and buildings. You know what a city is. A city has culture, art, music. It's a, a multi-ethnic population. Every tribe, nation, and tongue gets spoken there. I hope you like urban living. It has a garden paradise. There's, there's a tree of life in Revelation. Back to Eden. A kingdom. It's where God rules and he reigns. And it's filled with real people in real bodies, inhabiting real dwellings, enjoying real food, feasting, wine. And the idea here, guys, is profound. One day, God is working all of this, all of it. Heaven down to earth, there will be a cosmic merger of the two. And now the dwelling of God is with men and women. Heaven and earth collide. And the kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to think about that. What would it be like to live in this world with a curse lifted? Where you actually rule and reign with your risen Lord in his stunning creation the way he originally intended it to be. I mean, can you imagine this? Because the, the broken earth as it is, is no more. And all the things that grieve and tear your heart are, are gone. There's a big piece of this description in Revelation 21. If you look at verse 4, it says, God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more, let's say it together, no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new, a new order. The old, the old order, it's gone. Can you imagine? Can you even imagine this? Can you imagine a new earth with, with no more disease, no more divorce, no more death? Think of all the people who will be out of work. Doctors, oncologists, undertakers, lawyers, accountants, <laughs> attorneys, dyphus. There are no, no Ponzi schemes, no politicians, there are no presidents, God is king. There's no poverty, no pollution, no pornographers, no preachers. Even me, I'm going to be out of a job. There will be no need for me to stand up here, blah, blah, blah. Here's what God says. You can ask him yourself. And then you will be known and you will know him and you will see him face to face. Can you imagine this? John Lennon got it partly right. He said, imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger. A brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. That's the new earth, guys. Welcome home. That's where all of history is leading. Where the kingdom of God, without materialism, greed, hunger, poverty, comes in its fullest sense. We rule and reign together as brothers and sisters in Christ. See, if you haven't connected the dots here, there's a symmetry to God's story. I know you open the Bible and you pick a verse and it seems random to you. But God's saying, what I began in Genesis, the beginning, ruined by Satan. We live in the space between. But in Revelation, when I reveal what I'm working on, it's my original plan coming full circle. Me, finally at home with my children who I love, the Father, living in harmony in an entirely renewed universe. The curse reversed. Folks, that's God's dream. That's your Father's plan. And that's your future in Christ. That's your future. It will not be boring. 
with an entire universe, universes to explore, a God to worship and serve, work to accomplish, friends to enjoy. We'll be with people we love, things to learn, lands to discover, dynamic. But this is God's plan, according to Ephesians 1, to bring all things in where? Heaven and on earth, what's the word? Together under one head, even Christ. That's powerful, yeah? I, I, I just want to pause here <laughs> because I can see it in some of your faces. Some of you are like, what? <laughs> I never heard this before. Uh, some of you just tweeted this. I just heard heresy coming from the liquid pulpit because <laughs> I realized this, this new heavens and new earth theology that we're talking about, it's not talked about in a lot of churches. In fact, it raises a lot of questions. You may be like, wait a minute. If heaven is a physical place with physical people, we're going to see God face to face. We're going to have relationships to enjoy and realms to explore. Is it, are we going to do earthly stuff? For instance, somebody wrote on their connection card, listen to this question. It says, will we be married? What about sex? I want to thank you for saying what everyone else was thinking. All right, I just acknowledge that. Um, it's very interesting because while there are parallels in the new earth with this present world, it's not a one-for-one correspondence, okay? For instance, Jesus, um, he was asked a question about marriage in heaven, and he said, at the, at the resurrection... People will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. And, um, you know, if you're married, depending how your relationship is, this is either <laughs> bad news or good news, I guess, right? The, the point, the point, that's not the point. Wipe that out. The, the point isn't about depriving you of human relationships. Because this, this person actually wrote, they said, I'm engaged, man, and my fiance, and people wait, all that. The point isn't depriving you. Rather, marriage is simply going to be no longer needed because there will be one marriage in heaven between Jesus Christ and his bride, us, the church. That's you. That's me, okay? And all the intimacy, the love, the care, the nurture, the tenderness that the best of marriages on this earth points to, that's what every single one of us will taste. Every one of us. Whether we are married or single in this life. So don't get bummed out. Because marriage on earth is just a signpost. It's a broken signpost, yeah? It's pointing to something even greater, a marriage with Christ in the life to come. Here on this present earth, it's like, well, you know, I wish I had the perfect marriage. On the new earth, you will have it. And it's going to be far beyond your modest hopes for happiness. On the the new earth, we will actually be able to not only love our, our, our spouses, our children, our families, our friends. That's very clear. But together, our relationship with Christ will trump everything. I want you to remember this. Everything in this, this world, this broken world, is pointing to something greater in the one to come. Take sex, for instance. I'm not going to dodge your question. Thank you for that. God creates sex. What is the best sex in this world provide? I mean, obviously, there's a physical release. At the deepest place, intimacy. Deep, penetrating. Not body on body, soul on soul. It's knowing somebody. That's how the Bible talks about sex. It's, and, he, and Adam knew his wife. He knew her. When you know somebody and they're naked and they're when you see somebody warts and all and you accept and you embrace and you're naked before each other, transparent, and there's no shame. Folks, that's why through the civilization, pagan worship always involves sexual rituals because every culture recognizes there's a transcendent dimension to it. Sex is a signpost foreshadowing something even more powerful in the world to come. A friend in uh, this congregation, I love this. Thank you for your candor again. He emailed this reflection to me last week. He said, I think everyone in heaven has buff, naked, 33-year-old bodies, but there is no lust. And he says, I'm not so sure about sex. God always surprises. 
I have this feeling that he says, nobody up here does sex because we have something even better. It is known as surprise. (laughs) I love that. That's theological imagination, okay? (laughs) Again, the best of this present broken world is a dim reflection of what God has in store for us on the new earth. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived, but God's revealed it to us by his spirit. He's given us clues, hints, tantalizing tastes, foreshadows of the eternal. And, and you can only imagine. But, but I realize this theology of heaven just raises all sorts of questions. In fact, let me ask you, what is your question? Because some of you have them. Um, next week, we end our series, and I want to answer yours. So if you have a question, would you write it on your back of your connection card today? Leave that on your seat. If you're online, type it in. I want to try to get to these next week specifically questions about the new earth and the new heaven, because if you really dig into this stuff, you're going to discover some surprising answers to common questions. Um, for instance, I got, um, you know, will there be animals in heaven? You know, I, my, my, my pet, you know, so-and-so, and, um, and they write, I sure hope so, right? Again, you don't have to just like hope. You got to just think biblically. Think biblically, right? Think. God's sweeping plan to redeem creation. It begins in Genesis, where animals part of God's original design? Yes. When the earth was judged for the first time, God provides an ark. Who's he put in? Animals. In heaven, we're told the lion lays down with the lamb. What do you think? Connect the dots. If heaven is a place of sheer joy, you know dogs are going to be there. All right? We just need to acknowledge that. Cats, on the other hand. (laughs) Straight to the hot place. I'm sorry, cat people. I'm sorry. I just, that is so wrong. That is wrong. Look at that, man. You tell me one redemptive quality of that feline there. That's like, oh, man, get that thing. I don't want to look at that. Anyway, would you think critically and then ask your question, okay, because I'm going to try to get as many as I can in next week. To me, it is extremely exciting, guys, to to realize God didn't give up. God hasn't given up on his creation. The overarching theme in this entire story he's telling in his word can all be summed up in one word. That word is, say it together. The word is restoration. Jesus says, I'm making all things what? New. I'm restoring everything, even the cats. (laughs) Restoration. Resurrection. Think of all the biblical words that begin with the prefix R-E. Resurrect, reconcile, redeem, recover, renew. Re simply means you're returning something to its original condition that was ruined or lost. I'm going to take this and make it into this only even better. That's what a restoration is. If you reconcile with a friend, you just are restoring a relationship that fell apart and you're making it stronger. Our bodies will be resurrected. We're going to be brought back from death to original life, only eternal life, better than before. Think of God as the original salvage artist, okay? He's the ultimate one. That's why we call him Redeemer. He's restoring everyone and everything to what he originally intended you to be. And if you miss this, guys, if you miss this theology of restoration, it will stunt your view of God. God will get about this big. I know. I grew up, uh, candidly, um, in a community that kind of taught implicitly that, that, well, honestly, this world, this broken world, is going to hell in a handbasket. Don't bother. God's going to basically destroy the earth and be done with it. And the good news is he's going to rapture a few lucky believers away to some faraway realm while everything else in the world just goes to hell. That was what I, that's, that's what I absorbed. Listen to me. 
God is not some poor inventor whose grand experiment failed. He is not going to throw his handiwork and start from scratch and say, oh, well, the devil ruined it. On the cross, Scripture says Jesus crushed Satan's sin and death under his foot. And one day he's going to restore all things and make them more beautiful than ever before. In the end, God's going to get what God originally intended. This world is not doomed. It is destined for restoration. It will be healed. It will be made whole at the renewal of all things, Jesus says. And if you can grasp that future reality, it will change how your life in this present world works. That's the question I want to end with today. To me, it's the so what question. What difference does heaven make for life on earth. I mean, all this talk of the afterlife is interesting. You may be like, I, I have not heard this before. But Monday morning, what's it mean for life on this broken planet right now? This is, I'm glad you're thinking this question. See, if God's future goal is the restoration of everything, that means we're to invest our lives on this present earth, bringing healing and wholeness to this broken world and broken lives and the people around us. Because that's exactly what Jesus did during his time on this earth, did he not? What did Jesus do? He healed the sick. Jesus gave bread to the hungry. Jesus raised the dead. Why are you crying, woman? Basically, all of Jesus' miracles were foreshadowings, signs of how things will one day be on the new earth. He said, why are, why are you crying? He Lazarus died. No, he's just asleep. Wake up. What? There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain when the kingdom comes. That's going to be the new normal. But right now on this present planet, the broken world is groaning, crying out. So what are followers of Jesus to do? We're supposed to join him in the restoration mission that he began. Let me give you a practical example. As you might know, our church has a passion for clean water. That would be an understatement. Our name is Liquid, after all, and uh, one of the things that we invest in is bringing clean water to the impoverished people across this globe who have none. Right now, on this broken planet, there are a billion people who lack access to clean drinking water. Many of them are women and children in third world countries. And that was a crisis we discovered a few years ago, yeah? And if you recall, I took a trip to Ethiopia to show you the stark reality of life on a broken planet. So this is a traditional water source in this Ethiopian village. And it's pretty amazing. If you take a look at this, this is actually the runoff from the mountain. But it's filled with algae and contamination. In fact, this is where most of the cows and the livestock actually graze and, in fact, often go to the bathroom. So a lot of this water is mixed with cow or horse urine and other contaminants. And when they draw their water from it, they just put it in yellow jerry cans and drink it straight off. The result is tremendous stomach cramps, uh, parasites. It's devastating. That's why clean water changes everything. So at a traditional water source like this, a lot of times the women will use their skirt and actually use that to filter out the water and the leeches. There's a lot of leeches in here, but even some of the small leeches can make it through. <laughs>
You know, in New Jersey, we want water. You walk into the other room, you turn on the faucet, and it comes right out of the tap, and it's chlorinated and it's clean. Not to put too fine a point on it, but can you imagine drinking this every day? Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you instinctively know that's not what God intends. For kids to drink cow urine and leeches in their mouths and then die from diarrhea or dysentery. But as followers of Jesus, realizing we're called to restoration, we, we actually have a part to play in bringing the future heaven to the present earth, we said, you know what, we're called to do something about this. It's amazing. In the middle of Revelation's description, we'll get to more of this next week, but our future home, it says, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing down the throne of God, down the middle of the great street of the city. In other words, John's like, people on, on the new earth have clean water. It's actually crystal clear. <laughs> Nobody goes thirsty over here. No one is lacking. No one's like, give me a drink. It's actually the water of life flowing down the center of the city. And so we said, if our job is to bring heaven down to earth as Jesus did, that's what he told us to do. And we said, well, how can we do that? And so we began building clean water wells. If you remember, two and three at first, then 10 and 12 across Africa, a dozen more that first year, those wells we took to refugee camps in Uganda in the Central African Republic. And the effect was restorational. Disease rates got cut in half overnight. Mortality of newborns plummeted. Whole villages became healthy, four to 500 people at a time. Children went from this. That's, take a look at this. That's the broken planet. They went from that to this. That's the face of heaven on earth because you invested in bringing clean water to the nations in Jesus' name. When I visited those villages where we built liquid wells, it was the closest I have ever come to on this earth to experiencing the pure joy of heaven. With each village we visited, the impact of a hand-dug liquid well was transformational. I mean, many times we couldn't even get in to see the well without first sharing in a celebration dance with the community. The folks here are singing honey water. They're that excited about it. Sweet water. This is sweet to their village. This is the village of Tej Wuha. And you can hear them blowing the trumpet. <laughs> Growing up, I never could imagine how people would just be celebrating and praising God and worshiping and dancing in every tribe and every nation. And then I saw it. And I could finally see it. That one day, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, as, as the water of life flows, they're going to be praising God for his goodness. Joy. That's, what, that's the face of joy. That's the face of restoration. That's a picture of heaven coming to earth. And folks, that's what our life on this broken planet is supposed to be about. That's why we do what we do at Liquid. It's not about being a humanitarian. It's about answering Jesus' prayer. May your kingdom come, your will be done on what? Earth as it is in heaven. Now you're following. That's the point. Everybody in heaven has clean water. So we said, well, that means everybody on earth gets clean water. One day God's going to heal the nations. We figured, why not start right now? Jesus promised whoever gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in my name won't lose his reward. In other words, guys, we're just giving people a little taste of what God's going to dump on all of us. Amen? They're going to taste. Listen, here's my challenge. I want to leave you with a question. Here's God's question to you. Does your current life bring heaven down to earth? Do, do, you, do you live an eternal kind of life 
right now that is preparing the world for Christ's return? That, that's the question. If you don't know how to answer that, let me challenge you to go on a clean water trip. We actually have two trips scheduled for this fall to Haiti where we're going to be serving refugees and victims from the earthquake that happened. And um, we have one in October, one in November. And um, the good news is that both water trips to El Salvador are already filled up. But if you are interested in a spot in the remaining two, just sign up at liquidchurch.com. You can get more information. Folks, I ho- that, that, that's one of the reasons we exist as a church. And you, you see the connection here? It is essential that you have a burning picture of your future home on the new earth if you're going to make a difference on this present planet. You understand that? If you don't believe that God's original dream for this world and its inhabitants will one day come true, I honestly don't know why you'd bother. (laughs) That's why scripture invites us to envision your heavenly home. Dream God's dream. Join Jesus in restoring all creation. C.S. Lewis, he said, I'll end with this quote. He said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. And then he says, it's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this one. And then Lewis wrote, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. Aim high, folks, because that's where we're headed. They, they say heaven is a place on earth. It can be. It will be one day. And the exciting news is that this is just the beginning. It's just the beginning, and I hope you'll be a part of it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Let's bow our heads, all our campuses, people online. God, I thank you right now for every man and woman just under the sound of this voice. Would right now, Father, would you just send your spirit, Lord, confirming for them that their imagination is too small. God, we have three-pound fallen brains. Expand our vision, God, of what you're doing in this world. Jesus, just juice us right now with your Holy Spirit, God, that we would see the opportunity we have to answer your prayer, that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. We look forward to that day, Lord, of, 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 of singing, of dancing, of parting, of restoration, God, where all your enemies are put under your foot and the king of kings comes and he sets this world as it's supposed to be. And we just look forward to it, God. I pray that there'll be actually sightings of that more and more in our church, Father. Healings where are needed, Lord, restoration. Lord, bless our teams that are going out to bring clean water, living water in your name. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.